from what I understand, you have, I don't, I don't want this to be offensive, but you, you have, I don't want to say hands-off approach, but you have a different approach to the way you approach your agency and just the overall like encompassing world that you've created with stewardship financial versus maybe somebody that's a little more in it. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I guess you could say that um, I am not, uh, I'm not engaging with clients every day. Uh, that's not my role. My role is more of a 30,000 foot view as a manager and owner and making sure that uh, each one of my team members is is being guided and discipled correctly, um, but then also making sure that my company as a whole is um, ahead of the curve or in line with the curve of the way our society is is making decisions and moving. So that's my primary role and, and kind of what I'm doing. So, yeah. And, and I mean, do you look at, has it, has it, obviously I think it's worked out for you because you keep doing it, but how important is that, that shift? Like when it, when it happened, like what, what did that allow, what did that allow the company to do and become ultimately? Man, it was, uh, there's, I mean, there's probably three major turning points that I can look back on in my business and say, wow, when that one thing happened, it changed everything. And, um, as I look back on my business, that, that phase when I decided to step out of being a customer facing person and uh, trust other people and put other people to do that uh, instead of me doing it. Um, it was one of the best and most amazing changes. Uh, one of the best turning points for my company for sure. Uh, I'll be honest, it was, it was extremely hard. It was extremely hard for me personally. Uh, but also extremely hard for me as a business owner as well. I mean, you well, start, about it. Oh, man, well, I, I, this sounds arrogant, but I was good at it. I really enjoyed it, man. I mean, uh, I enjoyed being around town and running into clients um, at restaurants or whatever and giving them a hug and being introduced to their kids and me introducing them to my family. And I love that. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, talking with somebody and listening to their problem, understanding kind of what their needs were and, and working to solve that with them and meet their problems on a personal level. I, I enjoyed that so much. But at some point, you create a good enough experience for customers and you train your customers to tell others about you. Business grows to a point where there's more people in your community that are reaching out to you than you can help. And I had was faced with this question, okay, Grant, what are you going to do? Are you going to tell people no? Are you going to keep trying to do this on your own and making the experience worse, right? Because there's too much business going around that, that you can handle. Or are you going to train others to be like you and make an even bigger impact on your community? And uh, the, the answer is obvious, right? It's, it's the last one. And um, it was extremely hard to uh, do something that – stop doing something that I was really, really good at. Um, and it was extremely hard to uh, jump into something that I had never really done before. And that was training and discipling a team of people to be extensions of me and to um, come alongside me and make this impact on the community I was trying to make. How long did it take for you to kind of get through that process to when it felt like you made the right decision or find enjoyment in the new thing? How, how, how long of a time period? 
You know, I think with business, um, like the time frame for almost anything, um, I'd say is like a three-year period. After a three-year period, if you're doing it right and you've made many, the many adjustments, you can look back and say like, all right, now we're humming along. We're doing okay. Um, but as a whole, the moment that I said, hey, man, th- th- this was the right thing to do, um, it was easily within the first couple of months. Um, I knew that we were going to have growing pains. I knew that the, that the people that I hired, um, it was going, they weren't going to be exact replicate replicas of me right they were going to make mistakes um, but i had to trust them in that but i knew it was the right thing to do when one i saw the fact that we were able to help more people in our community so that mission was being lived out but then two and this is something i didn't anticipate i really enjoyed uh teaching and training and creating this culture um, of people uh, to come alongside me on this mission. I, I, I loved it. I, I didn't know that I was going to like that, but that enjoyment helped me deal with kind of uh, the sadness of stepping out of the role of being customer-facing. Like, oh, I really like this new thing, which is uh, being employee-facing and, and training them in that way. You said there were three things. What are the other two? Uh, I'd say the first one was when I went through um, a rebranding of my company. This was done a long time ago, but like the first logo and thing that I created, I, I did it because I, I started my, my mortgage company and my insurance agency and financial planning. And I wanted to be like everybody else. Right. So I had like a typeface and a logo that was similar to like all the big dogs, you know, Merrill Lynch and bank of America and state farm. You look at these companies and I'm just trying to mimic them with my branding. Um, and the, the number one turning point, the first turning point was when I had some friends of mine say, Hey dude, that's, that's not you at all. What it feels like when I do business with you is not what your branding looks and feels like. And I went on this kind of journey of understanding really what branding is. What are people experiencing, not just with their eyes, but with their ears, with, uh, what they read, even with what they hear, um, from other people, but. But when they come into my office, like what parts of the experience are genuinely matching uh, what I want them to experience? And um, going through that rebranding uh, was was amazing for me and was amazing uh, to get my head wrapped around kind of pushing my business in the direction that it should be, becoming that um, manager of something on, from a 30,000-foot view. It was a great, great turning point. Uh, the second turning point uh, would have been uh, when I understood that I needed to map out ahead of time and engineer the entire customer journey. So what do customers go through? What are they hearing? What do they see uh, prior to knowing us? Then when they come into and they're kind of deciding if they want to work with us, engineering that. And then after they're a customer of ours, what does it look like? You know, So really taking a lot of time to... Uh, look from a, um, a macro and a micro view of each touch point that the customer experiences um, whenever they're coming to work with us. So engineering that customer journey was a, another huge turning point in my business. If, if you got somebody that's saying, man, that sounds like a fairy tale land, Grant, how, how, how do I, how do I live there? Like what is, what, what's one of the, best things that you would say to somebody looking that's currently in the process of trying to remove themselves from that customer facing experience? 
Yeah, so I'd say um, before you can really scale your business and bring people on and hire them to um, be extensions of you, you have to first engineer that customer journey. Like what, what do you want your customers to experience um, as they're discovering you, as they're deciding if they want to work with you, and as they're delighting in working with you? Um, you have to do that first because if you don't and you hire people on, you don't know exactly where you want them to fit in in the customer experience. You don't know exactly how you want to train them. Is this person going to be, um, you know, really working with them even after renewal or just during the first sales process, or are they just going to be a service person and that's how they're going to be engaging with customers. Um, And if they are say a salesperson and, and engaging in selling the policies, what, what do you want that to look like? What do you want them to say? What words do you want them to use? What, um, you know, copy, do you want them to have, what dispositions do you want them to have and how often do you want them to reach out to them, right? You can't genuinely teach people how to be extensions of you unless you first written down what it looks like to be you. And that's what uh, engineering that customer journey looks like first. And to be honest with you, it's intimidating and it's a ton of work to do it. Um, But it doesn't matter if you do it using graphs and charts and amazing technology or if you just do it using a pen and a bar napkin, like, Writing it out and writing it down sometimes somewhere uh, needs to be done for every single business owner, in my opinion. And uh, sometimes it just means, look, I got to take a week off and go up to a cabin somewhere and start writing this stuff out. And there can't be – let me ask this. Do you think there can be multiple customer journeys within the agency or does it have to be a, a unique, consistent, single-track experience? Yeah, I think every customer experience is unique because every customer is unique, right? And every employee is unique. Um, So you have to allow for freedoms and allow for some uniqueness for sure. And the customer journey that you map out or you engineer, it's not like a train that there's tracks and they have to stay on those tracks, right? Um, It's more like a road in a car. And sometimes you hit the gas and you pass up the person in front of you, or sometimes you slow down and you pull over to the right. You know, it's, that's, that's totally fine to do, but you have to at least design what the car looks like when you're sitting in it. Does that make sense? There are some big things that everybody on my team must do. There are some major pieces of training that they must go through to understand how we communicate. Um, And there are some natural dispositions that I need to see in them prior to hiring them to make sure that they're going to meet the overall experience that I'm wanting to give. What are like four or five of your big things? Well, the big things that, uh, that I have to have is my team needs to be able to naturally prove to me that they put other people's needs first before their own. So before I'm hiring anybody, I'm like, I don't even look at the resume, to be honest with you. They send me the resume, I look at their email address and their name, and the first thing I do is I stalk them on social media. And when I do that, I'm trying to determine what are they involved in in their life. Is there a whole bunch of selfies and that's all I see? Well, not that that's necessarily bad, but typically somebody who's doing that and posting only that is going to be a little bit more myopic and they may when not you, be you look, you look good grant come on <laughs> yeah i mean it's just a different type of person who does that and maybe not the person i have one on my team but 
uh, as an example, I just recently hired someone and their first day was yesterday. And when I looked at this person's Facebook, I saw a whole bunch of other people tagging her saying thanks at random times of the last three to six months. Like, oh, I had yeah. such a great lunch with you know, her and it was awesome or t- taking pictures with her and they were tagging her. And it was other people talking about her, which means, man, this person knows how to put others first, right? And I also saw that this person volunteered a lot at local charities, organizations, churches, things like that. And I'm like, okay, that's the type of person that I want on my team. So, so that was a huge, huge kind of, uh, I don't know, just, just like a, a, a marker for me to see that. So that's, that's a big thing that I want to see in, in all of my team members is that they're selfless. And are there any other big ones that like non-negotiable, like you will not, thou shall not pass sort of moments? Um, yeah. So when they're employed here, I want to make sure that um, they are on mission with us. Um, the number one thing that uh, most businesses miss and they don't have is a simple purpose statement. And I'm not talking about a mission statement and vision statement. To be honest with you, I think all those are crap. I'm, I'm talking about a very simple phrase that is a purpose statement that everyone on the team can get behind. Something that requires selflessness, something that defeats an injustice or makes an impact on a community, and something that brings them together with their other coworkers. Um, I need to make sure that the, that the person that I'm hiring and the people that are on the team are doing everything with that purpose statement in mind. So for my company, um, it is we are going to love people through finances. And that's it. And the reason for that is because we know that if you don't have your finances put together correctly, finances can impact relationships negatively or positively. The number one cause of divorce is money fights, right? And we want to be a place in our community that, that if finances are enhancing people's lives rather than hurting them. So that's our mission. That's what we're, we're on board for. That's what our purpose is. So everything that we're doing must be to love that customer well in their finances. And love sounds weird, but I think in a purpose statement, you have to use a word that sticks out. That's novel. That's emotional. So that's the one that we've chosen. And and I mean, you've kind of taken that beyond just you've continued that that kind of uh, mindset of of removing yourself from things or making things simpler and easier. Um, like just beyond pulling yourself out of the business, like what are some ways that you've continued to kind of push that as far as making things, there's continuing, like you said, to, to scale it and, and push the business forward? Yeah, so once you have uh, the customer experience engineered, um, you can on a quarterly or annual basis go back to that and say, hey, how can we improve this? Where are their bottlenecks? Where are there things in the current customer experience that we are acting out that we don't necessarily like and we want to change. And once that's written down, again, it makes it easier to make adjustments. But also, once you have it written down for your external culture, you can write and create an experience for your internal culture, what you want your employees to experience on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, as they're serving customers. And then you can look at that uh, experience for your employees and make adjustments to it as well. Say, hmm, where are their bottlenecks? Where are their areas where they're spending way too much time on something? How can I make it more efficient for them or make it easier for them? Um, and that allows you to say, 
man, I don't like this. Let's find a new piece of technology or man, they're doing this and they shouldn't. Let's do a, a two day training on, on teaching people how to do this better. You know, it allows you to do a lot more things to, to make things better for the business as a whole. And I mean, I'll, 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 you've, you've actually developed something that has kind of grown into being kind of a resource for the industry at large, um, that, you know, you found worked well for you. Um, that's, you know, Neoteric agent and your proposal software. I mean, what, when was the first time that that even became a possibility? Like, Hey, why should I do this? Like, this sounds crazy, but maybe I need to. Yeah. So again, we looked at the customer experience several years ago and we said, okay, here's an issue. It's taking forever for our, at least longer than I wanted for customers to respond to the proposals that we were sending them. It was taking them longer to say yes or no. There was, it's, we felt like people were on the fence way too long, but more importantly, it was taking too long for my team to put proposals together. And that's because we were doing what most people do even to this day. And that is writing a long, drawn-out email because insurance agents feel like they need to put every single detail in every proposal and attaching something from the carrier. But the client, one, clients don't read emails as much as we think. And two, they don't understand the stuff that we're putting in the emails too long. And three, they definitely don't understand the attachment from the carrier. So it took forever to write this email. We were attaching stuff that they didn't understand, and they didn't open the emails as quick as they want because clients, people don't open emails. Or if they did, they'd open it, and they'd see all this writing, and they're like, oh, gosh, I've got to read this, and they'd wait for another time to read it, right? So I did a lot of research on how people think and why they read stuff and why they don't read stuff and how they retain information, and I just decided to look for a solution. There wasn't one. I'm like, fine, I'm going to make it. And uh, that's when we created uh, this proposal software where we basically cr um, created a web-based kind of form and you just enter, fill out a, a few pieces of data from the, the rater into this form and then it generates this beautiful infographic that uh, communicates exactly all the options that are available. And then as what we can do is instead of writing this long email, we record a video of us going over the proposal so that now, instead of writing this long email and stuff that they don't understand, we're able to explain the things we need to explain in a video. And now they're watching a video and actually receiving the advice. So instead of just saying, hey, we're your wise insurance advisor, we're becoming that and they're experiencing that in this video and us going over the, the proposal software or the proposal. And the proposal software itself is completely mobile based. So we send an email saying, hey, you know that proposal we promised you? It's ready. Click here on this link. But we also text that. And when we text it, we get over a 90% response rate just from the text messages because um, it's mobile responsive. People click on the link, type in their email address, boom, there's the proposal. They watch the video. It's a beautiful thing. And it dramatically reduced the amount of time it took my team to put together proposals, but just demolished that bottleneck that we found in the customer experience. And now people are, there's no fence that they sit on. They go from proposal to making a decision right away. It's great. I mean, is that, would that have been another kind of dramatic, maybe potentially shift in the, in the agency? Oh yeah, for sure. But, but, but that's one of many that I could point to when I look back at the customer experience of things that we've changed. Um, it's, it's, you know, I could sit here and talk about dramatic shifts of like, Hey, you know, here's some technology we implemented, some things that we did internally, externally, but none of that matters if I didn't first write down that customer experience. Right. 
if I wasn't yeah. first looking at that, going over with my team, really looking at some of our numbers and saying, man, where, where are their issues? Um, so it was, it was, I had to first put that down before I could even create, uh, create Neoteric Agent. Yep. And, I mean, we had been using that for years on our own and all of a sudden I, you know, we started getting some attention from carriers nationally and literally having reps from all different areas of the country, vice presidents and presidents alike, flying in to visit our office. And they're saying, hey, what are you doing? How are you able to do this much yeah. business with this little staff? I'm like, oh, and I showed them some of the technology. And they just kept saying, hey, can you make that so that other agents can buy it? Because we need other people to be doing this. And I'm like, ah, oh, sure. So at the beginning of this year, 2018, I made it available for others to buy. And um, one of the frustrating things that I had uh, with it still exists in the insurance world software is I feel like most software companies are not really listening to agents. Uh, they're not genuinely listening to the needs that are there and then making adjustments to the software to make it better. Grant, so, you stop that nonsense right now. You just, I will have none of that, that, that ridiculous. They're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is like, I created this again for me and my team. So it was specific to us. So just even within the first, I mean, we're, we're 10 months in now to having the software, we've made countless changes and enhancements and add-ons to this to try to meet the needs for the independent agent as a whole. Because the big thing that we have an advantage of over our competition, which is the captive side, is we have options. And a proposal software like this highlights those options. And if I can continue to create an environment where I'm taking in information from the agents, making adjustments to the software on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, we're going to continue to highlight that huge benefit we have over our competition. And, and, and my hope is this is the type of software that continues to rocket and propel the independent agency channel above and beyond the captive agencies. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think listening is, is definitely a challenge that people face even beyond software, but we'll pick on them for now. Why not? Um, <laughs> what, what I'm curious, I have no idea what the answer to this question is going to be, but what's one thing that you, people would be surprised to hear that you do within your agency or attribute to the success of the agency? Um, well, I, I'm 100% confident and know that the reason why my businesses are successful is because of the culture. Uh, the internal culture that we have here um, is extremely unique and very, very powerful. Um, my team of employees, people might think I've found a way to hire the best salespeople in the world. or That's not true at all. I've hired former teachers and youth pastors and grocery store stocking clerks like that's who i've hired i've never hired anybody with any industry experience um all i've simply done is find people that know how to put other people's needs first and are willing to be on mission and loving people in our community through finances so culture is like the biggest thing that i'm focusing on and it's the biggest reason why i have some of the most productive employees in the industry they are amazing and they're amazing because they will one run through a brick wall for me they will 
stop at nothing to make sure that we are meeting this mission every day the best way that we possibly can. The best part about this, Grant, is that we haven't even talked about the fact that you're going to be speaking at Elevate and how exciting that's going to be. Um, exactly. I mean, we've, we've covered a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of this uh, will be covered, but what, what is your primary focus? What do you want people to get when they leave that room at Elevate? Yeah. So, um, my biggest thing that I want people to get when they leave that room at Elevate is to understand how important culture is to their business, but not only understand how important culture is to their business, understand tangibly how it will affect it. Harvard did a deep dive study on the most profitable companies in the world, and they found that companies that have a healthy internal culture have 700% more revenue than average companies. 700% more revenue. And if we look at that as business owners, we know that's true. We know that our biggest pain points are oftentimes with our employees, and our biggest expenses are always our employees. So if you have a healthy internal culture, you can manage those expenses the best, and you can manage those pain points and those emotions and the frustrations that you have as a business owner better. So not only understanding that, but feeling how and where it can impact their business. But lastly, when people leave my presentation, I want them to be able to walk out of the presentation with this thing. We're going to walk through creating a purpose statement with a purpose statement for their business that is impactful for them and steps on how they can apply that purpose statement to their culture, to their other employees, so that they can get their employees on mission to work together towards something selflessly, to genuinely create a goal for a team to work together towards every day to make an impact um, in their community. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I think, I think certainly it is something that we feel is just going to happen by accident if we just show up and do, do stuff and um, definitely not not enough people set aside the time the dedication like you have obviously and so I'm really excited that people will get a chance to, to kind of map that out well Joey um, it's it's here's the thing about that like it's not that um, people don't put time toward towards it just because they don't have the time they don't put time towards it because they don't know I mean well, most people genuinely think that that humans are motivated, especially in our society, motivated most by money. So they yeah. think if they want really good people, they, they've got to pay a lot. Another surprising thing that people would really be uh, extremely surprised to know about my company is that every single one of my employees is underpaid, and they all know it. Every single one of my employees knows that if they did the exact same thing somewhere else, they would get paid more. They all know that, and they would. And, but the thing is, they'll never leave. Because money doesn't motivate people the most. And, and if you don't believe me, let's just take some really kind of emotional and, and, and scary ideas. The number one thing that motivates people is purpose. Look at the number one recruiter in the world. It's the army. They are literally signing up kids to potentially get on the front lines and take a bullet in the face. But they'll do it. Because they're a part of a purpose, they're being a part of something greater than themselves, right? That army tagline. Now, let's look even on the opposite side, the negative side. You look at 9-11, and you had these people getting into planes knowing that they are going to kill themselves. But ISIS genuinely believed in a purpose. 
that they were willing to kill themselves for a purpose. We as people are motivated by purpose. And most people don't understand that. So as a result, they don't take time to create amazing purpose statements for their business and point everything towards that purpose. Um, so almost everybody thinks it's money, but really money is the, the fourth most motivating thing. And, and purpose is the number one most motivating thing. And that's true, not only based on some of the examples I've shared, but it's true based on thousands upon thousands of years of research um, and truth around uh, the country and around the world. Well, purpose has probably been around longer than culture would be my, my guess, or not, not culture, money. Yeah, that's a critical good quote. Uh, purpose has been around longer than money would be my guess. But yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, on top of, 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 you know, other than purpose, again, money is the number four most motivating thing. Purpose is number one. What's second is freedom. People want freedom. I mean, wars have been waged throughout the world for years and years and years to create freedom. So you, as a leader, have to at least create a, a at least a perception of some kind of freedom or give certain freedoms to your team. Now, I'm not saying that you have to make everybody allowed to work from home. Like that's not necessarily the freedom that I'm talking about. It, it could be that, but it could be as simple as the, the freedom to engage with customers in certain ways that want, or the freedom to be able to speak to you about ways the business can improve. So you just listen and give them the opportunity or the right to be heard. You know, there's, there's thousands of different ways that you can enact freedom within your culture, but that is hugely important uh, because it's way more motivating than even, than even money. And the third thing is um, affirmation. People want to know they're masters of their craft. Uh, you'll have an old man who's working in a coal mine who literally knows every time he goes into the mine, each breath he takes, he's taking days off of his life. He knows that truth, but he won't stop working there because he's damn good at his job. And people love knowing that they're a master of a craft or a master of something. So in our teams, we have to create an environment where one, we're giving them the resources, the tools, the education to become really, really good at what they do. But two, on a daily and weekly basis, genuinely affirming them on what they're doing and what they're doing well. Uh, the number two reason people leave a place of employment um, is uh, because they weren't told what their job was supposed to be specifically, and were never able to measure it against what they were supposed to do. They didn't get the affirmation that they needed. Well, hopefully um, every insurance agency has an amazing culture now. I mean, I just feel like the last 30 minutes, my culture has improved by like 300%. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to listen to it and to, and to hear some of these things. I am a nerd, man, when it comes to behavioral science and I, I'm, I'm just always diving into that, extremely fascinated by how our brains work and why we make decisions. And um, so I, I don't know, I'm constantly reading stuff, um, constantly listening to things and trying to earn, gain knowledge in that and figuring out how I can apply it to my business. But um, that's me and that's not everybody, right? And, and if you come to a conference like Elevate where there's going to be a whole bunch of amazing pieces of information, the big thing is, well, what do I do with this information now? How do I place this into my business as a person who's gone to conferences that's sometimes my biggest failure is i've got to find a way to act on it and uh you know if you come to elevate and, and you get that ticket and you listen to to my presentation not only will you get to hear even more details about 
some of this education, but we're going to walk you through a worksheet that will give you something tangible that will be very, very, very easy to apply to your business when you get back uh, to the office. I will shamelessly plug the website, elevateconference.com. Uh, go ahead, grab your ticket. Uh, you have until the end of October this month. It's October. And uh, then ticket prices, the advanced ticket sales will be over. So get over to elevateconference.com. Grant's nice pictures there. So you can just wave at it and say hi. And I'll look forward to seeing him. <laughs> New Orleans, um, man. I'm excited. I've never been in New Orleans. It's going to be fun. Just for I that, I'm excited. <laughs> I know, right? I've never been either. So it should be, it should be a good time. Um, but yeah, Grant, look forward to catching up. Um, we might see each other, I think, at, uh, at your at uh, the IOA thing uh, in Vegas. You'll be there, correct? Yeah, yeah. I will be in Vegas speaking there as well. Pumped up about that. So if you're coming, happy to give you a high five and chat. Yeah, definite high fives. Maybe a, maybe a hug. Awkwardly hug. We could do that. Um, but yes, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm okay on that. I'm lukewarm at best. Uh, we, it's it's got to be the right length. But we'll talk about <laughs> that later. We'll arrange that. For, that sounds for, great. Um, all right, Grant. Well, I can't wait. I'm pretty excited. Um, and, and if you had to leave one statement on culture, how to get started with it or what people miss the most about it, what would that be? It's gotta be the purpose statement. Um, you have to have a purpose that requires selflessness that solves a problem in your community, ideally an injustice and requires and or creates community within your agency. Um, if you don't have that and you say, well, we just do this for money. Again, money is the fourth most motivating thing to humans. And it's not sustainable. People will come and go out of your agency. You will lose money. People will make decisions based on money. And that is selfish at times. And managing that can be really hard. So make sure you have a purpose statement. You get the right purpose statement. And if you don't know how to make it, come to Elevate, buy the ticket, sit down in my presentation, and we're going to walk through how to make one of those and how to make it correctly.